Namo tassa bhagavato sama samudasa namo tassa bhagavato sama samudasa namo tassa bhagavato sama samudasa I will awaken quickly for the sake of all sentient beings and for all beings wisdom compassion and non-clinging awareness Wunderbar So we all um this morning uh, th- uh three or four things uh, after this uh, class on um, uh, animals, and five kingdoms, and then we're going to tr- we're going to attempt a coffee distillation to s- extract uh, coffee oil. Never done it before. I understand it can be done with steam distillation. Try it, and then we'll have some coffees, and we'll be uh, celebrating Patricia's uh, birthday with some. I understand some cake, cake and coffees, and uh, I think smoked salmon as well. So. Quite a day today. Now to to um, to repeat also for um, Janice and Libby, the the next section, the text of the Jewel Order Liberation that we were we were covering is on the animal realm, and I, I felt very strongly that um, since the classification system and understanding uh, is from ancient India, so it's at least um, two thousand, two thousand, three hundred, two thousand, four hundred, thousand, five hundred years old and and really hadn't been updated or changed and in the spirit of uh, uh, of the tradition of uh, Buddha Dharma and tradition certainly of Kampopa and the great uh, Panditas and scholars of and practitioners of India and Tibet uh, I think it's time to uh, as uh, Namjum Shri would say do a, do a major number on it okay uh, because it's, it's such a general um, a statement as what, what constitutes animals the hell realm is described in, in, in great detail as you can see, the classification system is uh, extraordinarily detailed. When it comes to animals, then all of a sudden it's just a le- uh, legs or maybe no legs. Oh, yeah. So, so they were trying. That's good. It's very, very hard to do. And you can, and if you study um, uh, taxonomy and you study the history of evolution and, and the, the science behind it, uh, you see how very, very difficult this is to do to make classifications because there's exceptions, and then you try to find something that fits in and can describe these. Um, things that you see, and it gets very surprising. So let's, uh, I print this out for you, but uh, I can leave this one out for you, but this one here is all black in color, and that would use up black ink like crazy. You don't know what happens when you get a full sheet of black, you then have to go to and spend another $40 on black ink cartridge, so we'll, we'll avoid that. So Raphael, if you could, so I don't know if you have this written down, but let, let's, let's just review this. Two great divisions which, which have stood the test of time to some degree. There's some holes in this, but don't, don't be too concerned about that. Um, two great <coughs> divisions that have some exceptions and some um, disputes, but, but, but generally speaking, it works very, very well. There are those kinds of cells that have nuclei, and there's those cells that do not have nuclei. Generally, we sa- generally it used to be said those cells that don't have nuclei are very different types of cells, by the way. And generally speaking, we'd, we used to say those are bacteria. Okay? And all the rest of them belong to either fungi, plants, or animals. How's that for a classification? Just, just so you understand where that coming from. So it used to be, we're going to find out that's not, uh, there, there's more to it than this. But those that don't have nuclei are basically all bacteria. 
Then you're going to find out there's new divisions within that, uh, which is a very hot area in, in science. And then eukaryotes are plants, fungi, and animal. As we learned yesterday, which could be surprising to some people because they hasn't been updated in school or in, in 30 years some places, because I find this sometimes, is some people believe that still today they say they put fungi and plants together into one category. Well, fungi and plants are very, very, very different. As a matter of fact, human beings are closer to fungi genetically than plants. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. We're closer to fungi than we are to plants. It's really quite something. So, so the other point I want to make about this, which is a very important point, everything that you do, not just scientifically, but in all life activities, uh, is just because something looks like something else doesn't mean it's related. So just, just this, and this we discover over and over and over again in science, and we discover hopefully in life, just because it looks similar or has a little bit of the same appearance, doesn't mean it actually is related. Okay? So, for instance, you could pick up a piece of metal and say, oh, it's a metal. It looks shiny, yes? For instance, we could go to the cabinet, well, if Raphael knew what it was, we could go to the cabinet and pick up a piece of silicon, yes? Or pick up something that looks shiny, like silicon, like that, and you say, oh, it's a metal because it looks shiny. But in fact, it's not a metal at all. You see? So you could say, no, sorry, it's not a metal. But just because it's shiny. So, so remember this as a principle. Just because something looks like something else doesn't mean it is. And you will find this all through. And this is a very a great difficulty of describing things based on its shape, morphology, because it has legs as an animal. Because it's got eyes, because it's, it's, well, in evolution, these experiments can be done over and over and over again, not even related, and they tend to build similar structures. So I'll give an example. About 350 million years ago, well, actually for a very long stretch of time, almost 200 million years, there were trilobites. You've all heard of trilobites? You've seen trilobites? If not, we'll have to pull one out of the cabinet, but a trilobite. And trilobites were very, very successful creatures on planet Earth. They're no longer with us. But their eyes, even though they had eyes, this is another experiment in eyes. The eyes were all made of silica crystals. These little tiny individual, sorry, not silica, uh, calcium carbonate crystals like mar marble. Pure, clear uh, calcium carbonate crystals, all in little geometric patterns built up an eye. Isn't that amazing? So that's an experiment in eyes. So two eyes, but very, very different, completely different eyes. Are they the same as the things you see on the ocean store, on the ocean shore that look like horseshoe crabs and chitons? Are these little things like that that look like trilobites? No. But they look very similar. So so these experiments so then we also said that um, uh, yesterday, just to recap, all plants and animals have nuclei, and fungi are also eukaryotes. They have nuclei. And then the, uh, uh, the system, as of about 20 years ago, was the Five Kingdom system that was developed uh, in the late 1950s by Whitaker. 
And today, actually, it's pretty well accepted, six or seven kingdoms. And that's because the bacterial division, uh, there were some major discoveries in the last um, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years in the bacterial classification that has branched off new forms of life that were never known before. We're surrounded. As a matter of fact, the majority of what we would have called bacteria was never bacteria. And turns out, that one's okay, got away. Uh, it turns out to be the major form of life on the planet if you don't consider viruses life. Isn't that cool? That was, that's recent. Right there before everybody's eyes, but didn't have the genetic ability to differentiate it. So the five kingdoms, Monera, uh, Protista, Fungi, Animalia, and Plantae. Uh, and then uh, number four, which is Animalia, because I want to focus in on Animalia in a minute. Get, I'll get to there. Is we want to go, what constitutes animal? So I have a, a by the way, when you come out of it, I'll leave this for you. Maybe make a couple copies. It's a lovely article from Wikipedia on animals. And you can study it. And we'll go through, again, uh, in further detail, what constitutes an animal. But we pulled out uh, yesterday four different qualities of animals, very different than has legs or possibly not. That's very different, okay? Uh, multicellular, all animals are multicellular. All animals come from mother's egg, fertilized by a smaller swimming father's sperm. This is just a recap from yesterday. Number three, fertilized egg develops into a blastula. Yeah. And four, goes on to form uh, an embryo, which forms uh, digestive tissues, which then differentiates into all kinds of other tissues. Okay. And today, I've got it set up. It might be too dry, so we can actually get a volunteer and take some cheek cells, but I've got the microscope set up so you can actually look at human cells and see a nucleus very clear under the microscope. They're very big cells and if you want we could also do that with an onion cell just to show you that uh, uh, eukaryotes uh, all have nuclei. We can now go through, we could go all through the eukaryotes, we'd have to get a jellyfish and we'd have to get all kinds of things and prove to you uh, that all these creatures have, have nuclei. Yes? Okay. So, and there'll be more. So let's erase this off the board. So recap from yesterday. Yes. Uh, they're 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 structurally very very different. Uh, different wall structure. Um, different, very very different genetics. Uh, they grow differently. Uh, they are um, they break down. Their 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 whole life cycle is 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 very different. Many many differences. Morphological differences. Uh, they don't even taste the same. No. Morphological differences, genetic differences, uh, life cycle differences, all kinds of major differences. One of the things that one does too, when one wants to go and, and, and classify creatures, is one of the things you look for, which turns out to be, to hold, to be very true, is the cell walls, the way the cell wall is built in an organism, in each, in each cell tends to lead you to major differences uh, across life. So one of the things you go for immediately is examine the chemistry and the actual structure of a cell wall of a cell, and that will tell you a lot about where, where it is. Okay. So let's put on the board, uh, just not going to spend very much time on this. I'll give you the computer there, Raphael. Got emails coming in. Excuse me. 
<laughs> if you can put this this chart up of uh, just if you can draw that and just to, just put radiating lines. You don't have to put too much detail. But, hmm? yeah, I don't have to. <coughs> so it used to be you saw. Every, do you remember when you went to school? You saw this tree of life, like a big oak tree. Down at the bottom, these lowly creatures called bacteria, and they ooze out about 3 billion, well, known today, about 3.4 billion, 3.2 something, 3.2 billion years, possibly, if the structures they're seeing in rocks are actually life forms. But at least 3 billion years ago, the first things that are definitely cells, so out of the bottom of the root of the tree, and then you come up the trunk, and animals get more complex and higher, right? Moving up the, the ladder, moving up the tree, through the branches, yes? Until you come to the crowning glory of mankind, yes? Remember that? Did, did you guys still put those on the board? Confess. What, did, did, no, you, did, you didn't teach biology, did you? Do you teach biology? Yeah. Did you have trees like that? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can make fun of it. Got a good sense of humor there. Not only does one need to check the pens, but but over the lifetime of a course, they they dry out. I've got some in my office. If those those go. Yes, Monero would we Monero would have been called bacteria, single-celled organisms where the there is no nucleus, and the DNA is actually uh, connected or roughly connected to the cell wall. But there's no organizing, if you want, no major organizing envelope for where the DNA is located. And then, uh, although that's not always exactly true, but it's not the same structure as a eukaryotic nuclei. Uh, and then protista are, are things like diatoms. Um, all kinds of unicellular creatures that cannot be classified as bacteria because they're eukaryotes, but they certainly cannot be classified as plants, although they have plant-like structures in them, and they have animal-like structures in them. They're so far different. They're a completely different branch of life. So a lot of what's in the ocean and lakes and in soils, and in damp, many damp places, uh, is called protus or protistia. And it's vast, vast uh, kingdom of all kinds of strange creatures, dinoflagellates. We can put some under the microscope if we have some. I think we might have some samples left so you can see what they look like. Or I'll just call them up on the computer. But uh, that's a lot of what we study here is this. is a huge branch of life, huge, huge, huge branch of life. So generally there's single cells? Single cells, uh, cells with a nucleus, <coughs> sometimes many nuclei. Yep, talk about how you divide that way. Many nuclei, sometimes, and uh, uh, have uh, sometimes uh, characteristics of a plant. And many people that study protists are still in the botany departments because of the old classification system. Someone in the oceanography department, some in the botany department, some in the zoology department, some that were in other departments. 
But because of the old system, and I had this debate with a lady on a boat in the Seychelles. She was an expert. I think she was from Harvard or no, Stanford. And she was one of the world's experts on, um, uh, on uh, mitochondria and chlorophyll in plants. Retired. Hadn't, you know, she was about, she could have been 80. She was on this boat trip, and I was showing pictures. They asked me to do a, uh, um, a, uh, a slideshow or something on the creatures I was finding in the ocean. And I talked about protests, and she said, those are plants. So, so she's sitting right in front. She was so keen, right? She was so keen. She's also a keen birder. She loved plants. She goes, those are plants. I said, why? Well, because they have chlorophyll. So it's very, very delicate. She's a lovely lady. Um, I think her name was like, I don't remember, but love, lovely lady. And she was fierce. She was, no, they're plants. I said, that's a really old classification system. They're not plants. They don't even behave like plants. You know, so, 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 but they do uh, use sunlight in chloroplast-like structures that look like chloroplasts to... Uh, generate uh, energy and cell, st- cell material and so on. So, okay, and they do plant sometimes plant-like things, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're plants. So, so these these things change. So, for instance, a lot of the studies that go on, for instance, the University of British Columbia, for fungi and all those protists. And there's people, there's a, there's a special department, there's a special lab at UVic, which is a very famous lab, for studying the evolution of protists and sorts out the evolution. They're, they're one of the foremost labs in the entire world there. They're all in the botany department. Just to let you know, they're all, they're all in the botany department. Okay? So if you want to go there, that's where I go. They're, they're all hidden away in the botany department. It's the old fashioned to have a botany and zoology department now. It's very old, very old fashioned, but but that's that's where it is. When we go over to University of Victoria and use the electron microscope there, uh, electron microscopes there, uh, it's it's the uh, department of um, really engineering, but happens to be the oceanography, ocean sciences uh, department in the basement. So you know how these things work. Okay. So this is one of the most modern, up to date trees. So you see the tree has changed. No longer an oak tree with mankind at the top, with a picture of mankind, and especially primates off to the side, because they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Right? Monkeys didn't make it. So that's a very, very old-fashioned idea of we are reaching towards mankind. That's been, been just, at least in the scientific world, for, for a very long time dispensed with. Okay? Trees don't look like that anymore. Uh, all life is given honor. Hmm? So... This branching, this branching tree is really to find out where things come from, evolutionarily, and how they're related. Not because there is an overarching design towards mankind. Do you follow that? Be very careful with that. Okay, those little green things off the side there. You see? It's, it's Juan's, it, Juan took this off the internet from a presentation. It's courtesy of David, David Patterson. I think that's an unknown branch. Well, I think it gets into that. Oh, that's that green. Oh, you've got it as, yeah, as green as yellow. Okay, it's fine. Well, maybe it's, it's later in the presentation. 
okay, I want to show that to you. Some of these, these names won't mean much, but I just want to present this to you uh, to give you another taste of modern classification based on modern science and not just something that says animals. Uh, and how, how detailed it is. All these branches, you can see now you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven major names on there. Those are seven, those are seven kingdoms. This is pretty much the latest. This was given to me uh, by a, a research at, at UVic, which is his course. He gave me his entire year's course material on, on protists. Um, but he's an evolutionary scientist. And this was, he said, this is basically all the latest research. So I have this entire year's um, PowerPoint presentation on my computer. It's a lovely gift. So you see animals, just one side branch there. Fungi related to animals. Plants are actually a little bit distant than fungi. Do you see how this, this branching works? To do with distance. Distance genetically. Distance in terms of, of evolution. Uh, don't worry about the stromatophiles. Um, and then birds off the side. And then now you see the Monera has been uh, removed pretty much as a name. And what you have is eubacteria and archaea. Okay, and let's, if I remember correctly, let's see here. So, hmm? pardon? Three domains, yeah. But the question is, where does everything come from? And uh, you think that the branch is right here. So, uh, this is really what now today what we call bacteria, okay? And it's been given a bit of a new name, right? Given a new name because of, of modern discoveries. The question is, where is the root of all of, all of this? And um, uh, something, something like around here, but that's the debatable point where, where it all branched off. It turns out that these cells, of which a lot of them are extremophiles, they're found... They can be found in water that has a pH of 1. If you know what that means. That's like creatures growing in hydrochloric acid. Just about. But dilute hydrochloric acid. Right? So that means, that means if you think that you're uh, killing off all kinds of creatures using vinegar, you know, wiping down your, your uh, tables, all kinds of things with vinegar because you're told that, well, got news for you. There's a whole bunch of creatures, of which they are the majority of life on the planet, that love it. Some of them love it. Some of them even love more acid. They like to be in concentrated uh, uh, lemon juice. And even more than that, they're found in, in, in uh, volcanoes. They're found in hot volcanic muds. They're found in extreme cold. All these creatures, all the way down so far today, two miles below the Earth's surface in cracks. And they re some of them are known to reproduce every, maybe every 20,000 years. They've been around for a very long time. They're very successful. They're found in your mouth. They're found in our guts. They're found all over our bodies. They're in the soils. They're in the air. Yeah? And the reason is, they were, when they were seen, if they were seen at all, they were seen to be bacteria because they look like bacteria. 
But with rapid new genetic testing, they started discovering, wait a minute, we have an entirely different kind of creature here. And as they've been grown in labs, they're hard to grow in labs because you have to have methane chambers under high pressure and maybe high temperature to grow them. So it's not just like taking a Petri dish and putting in growth medium and plating these things on and seeing what you get. You see nothing. So that's why they were never seen. Do you understand? So to culture them, it's really hard. How do you culture something that requires a pH of 2, dilute nitric acid, right? And you have to figure out what its, what its nutrients are, what its balance of minerals and all kinds of things like that. And maybe, it, it, likely, no oxygen. Oxygen is toxic. So it might need methane or it might need, need uh, sulfurous gas. So how do you grow it? So only recently have people been able to start to grow these in labs and actually study them. And yet they've been there the entire time. Okay? But now, because of fast, rapid DNA testing, you can take a soil sample, you can take a mouth sample, and with a year, within a year you can sort out 800,000 different species in, in the mouth or gut. Right now, the, the, the number of of different uh, bacteria-like species in the gut is about a thousand. Okay, about one hundred, uh, one hundred uh, a trillion. Yeah, one hundred trillion cells, uh, five pounds of these creatures uh, in in the gut, of which they're still finding more and more. And most that's done. They can't culture them, but they can do DNA testing, and therefore they get the different uh, coding strands, and they can actually study them genetically and say them evolutionarily and, and, likely, and what they are. So there's a whole branch of biology now that never sees the cell. They can't culture it, but they can actually look at the DNA and actually put it into these trees and see where it is. And hopefully somebody, some graduate students, can work out uh, how they actually get to see it under the electron microscope or, or study it. Yes. They live, they reproduce. So, so remember, when you want to ask what life does, look at human beings. They eat and they reproduce. And if they're not gobbling things, which, which is what animals do. Animals generally uh, gobble things up and digest things. But uh, a lot of these creatures uh, absorb gases, absorb minerals, and use those for making proteins and lipids and carbohydrates and sugars and DNA and RNA and so on. So I have to figure out a way to do that. So plants do that very differently than human beings. You don't see often see plants going around and reaching over and just... Oh, there went a bird. So all, all, all creatures on this planet must reproduce. And to reproduce, they have to get enough minerals, they have to get enough energy to pull that off because it's it's energy-consuming to reproduce, either vegetatively or sexually. It takes more energy sexually to reproduce. It's much easier just to bud yourself off and vegetatively divide. This is a lot of work, uh, mating and, and, and reproducing sexually, a lot of work. But it does shuffle around genetic information very rapidly. But then you say, oh, well, that's good. But why are these archaea and these eubacteria so successful the last three billion years because they know how to shuffle genetic information around really well. All they need to do is get close to each other and squirt a bit of DNA 
at each other or put tubes across, you know, conjugation tubes, put the tubes across and just put DNA, cross-talk information, genetic information across. So very successful. So for instance, you can take lots of antibiotics, yes? And what are they doing? They're working out how to uh, defeat that antibiotic. Maybe the antibiotic destroys something in the cell membrane, and now what they're doing is, is uh, gaining genetic information of something that worked out how to defeat that uh, antibiotic. And in a short time, maybe in weeks or months, there's now a whole population of uh, bacteria, or you know, what's called now eubacteria, that is, uh, is immune to, or uh, uh, resistant to that particular antibiotic. So they don't, they, don't, they don't need to mate. They mate through, through um, a sharing DNA right across the planet. It's quite something, isn't it? Okay, so uh, I, I'm not going to go... We, that would be uh, two or three days alone, right? Yes? So I'm not going to go into uh, all that. But just to show you now that there is a... what's called a seven kingdom classification, and that's really, that's being worked out really well, and just say, this is a modern view of it. So now let's go into uh, animals. Yes? Let's take that, that, that off, if you wish, or, or let's, make a, let's make an opening there uh, on the right side, enough of an opening with a box. That probably isn't enough, just to go, to go through... Uh, just uh, the, the green there and so on. Uh, it'll be enough. And we'll go through animals. Um, so does this seven king does not include a single um, non-nucleic... Oh, it does. It includes uh, uh, cells with nucleus and cells that don't. So the archaea have no nucleus. And the eubacteria have no, no, no nuclei. They would have been classified as Monera. So Monera's now been broken into two. And I wouldn't be surprised, because I'm seeing hints of this, Monera's going to be broken into three. Okay? So that's okay. It just gets... So for give an example, in ocean water, uh, there is a form of, of uh, plankton in ocean water that was only discovered about 15 years ago. They don't get so... Don't react to phenomena like that. Yeah? Care, but don't have to like this. Yes. I'll let you. You know, I'll let you know. We'll run out and catch a bird if it doesn't make it. But all of them are fine. They've been doing that. It's fact gotten gotten much better today for some reason. I don't know why today. All of a sudden, a lot of birds are going into the windows. But it's been actually very, very good uh, this year. And it's almost like a lot of um, chicks are being taught not to fly in the windows, but there's times when they go crazy around the bird feeder and go in. It doesn't matter what you do. You can stand by the window and put your hands like this, and they'll still go in the window. We've seen that. You can actually stand right in front of the window. They'll still go in the window. So they come off. As a matter of fact, you sit in a chair right now, you might get hit in the head by a bird coming off, because I had that happen. Go right in the, right, almost right in the face. As they come off the bird feeder, like, crazy, crazy. So it's happened. For some reason today, a lot. I don't know why. Just something this morning. Okay, animals. <coughs> so as I said, I'll leave this out for you. Oh, you can, you can bring, take that down to the tent. A lovely, lovely printout. 
Animals are a major group of multicellular eukaryotic organisms. So let's, let's write this down for animals. Uh, you'll need small, fairly small printing, just enough for people to, to read. Just remember, as I said yesterday, there are thousands of people working on this. Really bright, intelligent people working on this and have been for 200 years. So there's a lot of information on this and people study it over and over and over again. Why? It's really important. Study of life, really important for everything. Everything. Not just medicine, but uh, agriculture, uh, at all levels. And interest, of course. Animals are a major group of multicellular, so let's put, we got multicellular, good. Eukaryotic, let's put eukaryotic. So everybody remembers eukaryotic, yes? Cells with nuclei. And the old name for animalia was metazoa. Remember that? Metazoa? That's the old... It's, it's going. It's just about finished, that, that old name, metazoas. Their body plan eventually becomes fixed as they develop. So, uh, yeah, fixed body plan, eventually. And there are some exceptions but eventually it becomes fixed. Have you, have, you been mute, have you been morphing lately? Have you anybody been budding so like a third arm or another head or uh, two spines or because you need it, uh, 26 legs? No? Okay. It's fairly fixed, yes, through life? Yes. Yep, yeah. But the, well, those are in, in animals. So, but um, uh, for instance, like, like an amoeba? Morphing, changing shape. Although some undergo a process of metamorphosis, like a butterfly uh, and a caterpillar later on in their life. Most, so most animals are motile. That means they move. They're, they're, um, they have locomotion of some type. Legs. But then there are snakes. And there are worms, yes? Okay, motile. They can move spontaneously and independently by themselves. They can get around. Now, you could also say that about protists. So there's diatoms, for instance, there's diatoms that float in the lake or in the ocean, and they move around with currents. They don't, they don't move. They just get blown around here and there. Jellyfish too, Okay. And, and they can move up and, because of fat content and various things, they can move up and down the water column by, by buoyancy, depending on the daytime, depending on the, on the light levels, to avoid predators. So they might go up and down by three or four or five meters a day, uh, down and up, depending on predator levels. Okay. But they don't do this. However, there are diatoms that do. And those diatoms live on the bottom, on sand grains and so on, and they can actually go quite quickly. So we can watch them under the microscope going, well, quite quickly is relative because they're tiny, but they're going like this in the microscope. And they're squirting jets of liquid out underneath themselves and going like this. They're motile, and they move independently, and yet they're protists. So one has to be careful about clouds. Just because they move doesn't mean they're an animal. 
See how this works? So you, you work through this systematically. Just because it moves doesn't mean it's an animal. But that is one characteristic of animals. Then when you saw it, find it has a chloroplast, and you go, not an animal. As soon as you see a chloroplast, you go, sorry, not an animal, plant. And then you start studying it more and more, you go, wait a minute, its cell structure, its cell wall isn't plant-like, it's so on. It's life cycle, isn't it? All animals are also heterotrophs. Let's put that on there. Heterotrophs, meaning they must ingest other organisms or their products for sustenance. Okay? Dinoflagets, which are protists, can swallow diatoms right through their bodies. But they're not animals. So either the creature or its waste products. And how about what kind of um, animals would eat waste products? Uh, but they're not animals. Dung beetles. Dung beetles. Dung beetles. All kinds of beetles and insects and fly insects and anything else? And Some parasites. Hmm? Some fish, yeah. Scavengers? Scavengers, yep. Uh, dogs? You've seen dogs eating waste material? Yeah. All kinds of creatures. Eating waste material. Most of the animal uh, animals, anything, anything known as an animal, appeared in their fossil record as marine species first uh, during the Cambrian explosion about 500, about, I like this, about 542 million years ago. Not 543, but anyways, a certain range in there. Pretty good. About 542 million years ago is when animals started to appear in the fossil record. That's possible that new fossils will be found and push it back 50 million years or push it back 20. This happens every 5 or 10 years. A new, a new fossil is found somewhere. These are rare fossils found somewhere, pushing it back. So let's say approximately half a billion years ago is when animal animals as we know it began to emerge. Okay, uh, now the etymology. We went through that yesterday. Uh, here it is again. This is, this is good to repeat this. The word animal comes from the Latin word animalis, meaning having breath. Okay? So you see, one of the methods of saying all sentient creatures, so I get asked this, yes? What is a sentient creature? One of the definitions of a sentient creature is all sentient creatures breathe. Guess what that includes? Bacteria, protests, you bacteria, archaea, all of it breathes. Even if you breathe, so would you say, oh, it must breathe in oxygen? Why, why can't you breathe in carbon dioxide? That would include all plants. Yes? And how about uh, sulfur dioxide? <laughs> creatures can live off sulfur. Some creatures live off sulfur dioxide and so on. So uh, some of the extremophiles, uh, certainly, they don't. They don't breathe. They don't. Oxygen is actually toxic to them, but they breathe in other gases and give off waste products. So, all creatures on the planet, no matter what they are, even if they only reproduce every twenty to fifty thousand years, they still have to breathe and respire. They have, still have to take in gases, nutrients, and give off things. Yes. So that particular idea of life, 
which started about three billion years ago, is still going strong, uh, without exception. In everyday colloquial usage, uh, the word off refers to non-human members of the king kingdom Animalia. Sometimes only closer relatives of humans, such as mammals and other vertebrates, are meant in the colloquial use of the word animals. Look at those animals. Yeah? Or to say, what a bunch of animals. Or football, sometimes football players. You know, sometimes you say, what a bunch of animals. Or, or, or hockey players as something different than the more sentient office-bound uh, non-hockey <laughs> players. Yeah? Okay. Usually when they're beating each other up and pounding each other, trying to give each other concussions. The biological definition of the word refers to all members of the kingdom Animalia, encompassing creatures as diverse as sponges, jellyfish, insects, and humans. Let's, let's, let's just put that over on animals up there, just so you get an idea of it, right? Uh, sponges, very human-like, yes? Sponges as animals? Do they walk around? If we were to examine sponges, we see they're actually very close. Isn't that cool? Sponges, jellyfish, insects, uh, and, and humans. Good. Some of the characteristics. Animals have several characteristics that set them apart from other living things. Animals are eukaryotic and mostly multicellular. I think we have that, yes? Which separates them from bacteria and most protists. So, so the eubacteria and the archaea are then separated out. We've already done that. Generally digesting food in an internal chamber. Internal chamber. Which separates them from plants and algae. See how this is done? And then you look for the exceptions. When there's too many exceptions, you have to change the model. So far, this model is withstanding the test of time. Why? They just keep shuffling through more creatures, examining more creatures. So a scientist is looking at some creature and goes, uh, wait a minute. It doesn't fit the classification system. If there's enough evidence and they show enough slides, enough people in their department, oh yeah, you should publish this. This is an exception. It then goes from a poster paper at a conference to a paper published. Uh, it might not even make it because there's something wrong with the data or something wrong with the evidence. And if it's ever read, and it's not an obscure, obscure paper, it may eventually catch on. Other people say, well, wait a minute, that one too. I saw that one last year. It doesn't fit either. And that would then shake the, if you want, the tree, so to speak. See? But so far, this, this is staying, this is staying uh, quite intact. But that's how it's done. People look for the exceptions, by the way. Good scientists are looking for exceptions, not to fit everything into that. They're excited by ex exceptions. What's lurking in the archaea that actually isn't archaea? What's lurking in the human mouth that we've never seen before? Now that we're inside the mouth and we're analyzing it, well, what, have we, how, what haven't we seen? Like this year is the first, this year or last year, is the first year in which there's now evidence for viruses reproducing by themselves. So not only for the last 10 or 15 years have many number of biologists begin to consider viruses as living creatures, even though they don't self-reproduce, now there's more and more evidence that, that some viruses actually, maybe all viruses, in some way, somehow, you just haven't seen it, that's all, uh, re reproduce. That would mean that the, the, by far 
the largest a form of living creatures on the planet by far by far by far by far trillions in a in a mill, milliliter they don't because they're not considered life yet but if they if they if they do they'll probably put as another branch they'll become the eighth branch so it could be that in our lifetime in 10 15 20 years uh, if I give this talk again there'll be another branch and it'll be called viruses and there'll be another branch off that called oh the marine ones of that type are very very different we can't call them viruses anymore now there's two branches of virus it doesn't mean the whole thing changes it just means there's uh, an ability to see deeper and deeper and deeper of, of what's going on. An exploration of life. So they are also distinguished. So they are also distinguished uh, from plants and algae and fungi by lacking rigid cell walls. So that's lacking rigid cell walls. I'll repeat that again. They are also distinguished from plants, algae. And fungi. Now, algae is a nebulous term. It really should not be used, but I, I think it's because it's a fairly non-technical paper. It really should be protists, okay, or protistia. So, from plants, protistia, and fungi, by lacking rigid cell walls, all animals are motile. We have that, if only at certain life stages. In most animals, embryos pass through a blastula stage. And everybody remembers what a blastula is? division of the cells into forming a ball, basically, a hollow ball, which is characteristic exclusive to animals. No question about it. So if you look at something during its life stage, you may never be able to determine what it is by its outer form. You're going to have to look at the entire life cycle to discern where it fits in this uh, tree-like structure or branching structure. Make sense? Because just to catch it in one stage of its life cycle may may not tell you all, all about it. With few exceptions, most notably the sponges, animals have bodies differentiated into separate tissues. So, uh, bodies, uh, let's just say uh, bodies, tissues, tissues, different kinds of tissues. Heart tissue, spleen tissue, skin tissue, bone tissue, brain tissue, nerves, yes, all kinds of differentiated types of tissues. Ah, here it is. These include muscles, which are able to contract and control locomotion, and nerve tissues, which send and process signals. I think we have an internal, yes, we have an internal digestive chamber with one or two openings. At least one or two openings. How many do we have? says in the text, nine. You might, you might find others. If you open up the crown of your head, you'll have another one there. That happens. Sometimes a test, test for a certain meditative practice, is stick, see if you can stick a, um, a piece of, it opens so much up here, you can stick a little piece of straw. That's a test for quite advanced practitioners. Just put a little straw in there. Even after two or three weeks, the Lama likes to see if you've got a little signs of 
of, of, it, of it opening up. Animals with this sort of organization are called metazoans, uh, which is not being used very much anymore. All animals have eukaryotic cells surrounded by a characteristic extracellular matrix composed of collagen and elastic glycoproteins. We could put that, that's probably not that interesting to you. But, okay. Just to say it has, uh, let's, let's put it this way. Do we already have this? Uh, unique, uh, unique, it's not a wall, unique cell membrane. Let's put unique, unique cell membrane. The, you know, collagen, yes, as a protein, collagen, yeah. Uh, uh, collagen and glycoproteins can turn into and differentiate into things like, they can be calcified into form structures like shells, bones, and spicules. Spicules are long, rod-shaped um, structures. During development, it forms a relatively flexible framework upon which cells can move about and be reorganized, making complex structures possible. In contrast, other multicellular organisms, organisms like plants and fungi have cells um, held in place by cell walls and so developed by progressive growth. Very different. So, so uh, animals have cell membranes and plants and fungi and other creatures have cell walls and more rigid. So, for instance, a diatom has a uh, quite a rigid uh, silica, like, like plate glass wall, embedded with organic molecules. Cool, isn't it? Dinoflagellate has a cellulose wall, even though it's still transparent because it's so thin, you can see right through it. It's cellulose wall, like a plant, but yet just because it has one doesn't mean it's a plant. It's actually sometimes closer looking like an animal. Also unique to animal cells are the following. They have intercellular junctions, tight junctions, gap junctions, and something called desmosomes, which I don't, I don't know. Look that up. So intercell intercellular junctions. Yep, Ner between nerves. Um, sometimes between certain cells, there's a specialized junction, and uh, different kinds of chemicals and information goes between that. Nearly all animals undergo some form of sexual reproduction. So you can see this list, eh? This is this is a little different. Little different. That's why I want to bring this out for you. I was not going to go. Uh, uh, certain number of legs can be one, four, and so on, uh, and or not. So this this it's okay, and that was that was fine for two two three thousand years ago. It's great. I'm trying to puzzle through this, uh, you can see now uh, how uh, detailed this is. Nearly all animals undergo some form of sexual reproduction. They have a few specialized reproductive cells which undergo uh, sexual division to produce smaller motile spermatozoa 
or larger non-motile ova. Just, we'll just put, I think we already have that, sperm. I think somewhere we have, sp- we have sperm and eggs. <coughs> yeah, sperm and eggs. <coughs> They fuse to form zygotes, which develop into new individuals. <coughs> so do sexually reproducing diatoms. We got fortunate. We might get fortunate this time of year. Maybe not. Better, better in the fall. Show you uh, diatom eggs, and they're very hard to spot diatom sperm. With a new microscope, I think we'll have a better chance of spotting um, a diatom sperm. And one of the things I've, we've wanted to do for a long time is, is actually watch the fertilization of the egg and the sperm, but it's not certain. It's never been seen before. So. Have you seen the sperm, seen the eggs? Sperm, but not together. Have you seen the next day? Yes, we have. We've seen the, the uh, enlarged uh, uh, cell. Yeah. Cell, those big ones. Fertilized. Yeah, fertilized. Many animals are also capable of asexual reproduction. This may take place through parthenogenesis, where fertile eggs are produced without mating, budding, or fragmentation. What would we call that if a human did that? Immaculate conception. Is it possible? It might be possible, actually. There's a bit more evidence that's actually possible, immaculate conception. Just don't use that as an excuse. It's pretty rare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pretty rare. So now let's uh, uh, back to the blastula. The blastula undergoes rearrangement and differentiation. In sponges, blastula larvae swim to a new location, develop into a new sponge. In most other groups, the blastula undergoes more complicated rearrangement. It first invaginates to form a gastrula with a digestive chamber and two separate germ layers, the external ectoderm and the internal endoderm. In most cases, a mesoderm also develops between them. These germ layers, which have different quality of cell um, look about them, quality, differentiate to form tissues and organs. So that would be another day which I'd have to prepare for, is uh, embryology, is the is going from these three layers and the progress by which uh, tissues and organs differentiate. Okay. All animals are heterotrophs, which we have, meaning that they feed directly or indirectly on other living things. They are often further subdivided into groups such as carnivores, herbivores, omnivores, and parasites. Predation is a biological interaction where a predator, that is a heterotroph which is hunting, feeds on its prey. The organism is then attacked. Predators may or may not kill their prey prior to feeding on them, but the act of predation always results in the death of the prey. So act of predation, some sort of predation. Can you give me an example of where it doesn't result in immediate death? Well, cows eating grass. Pardon? Cows eating pasture grass. Mm-hmm. A lot of grazing animals, no? No, they're 
they're uh, breaking up the cell walls, chewing and digesting in their different stomachs. So it's definitely killing. But the grass comes back. Grass oh, that's true. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But the um, but they are, but they are they are going about killing creatures. So so that also depends if you if you think of grass as an an individual form. It's like for for it's like a carrot. Uh, we usually think of carrots because of the entire carrot. Uh, so when you go and pluck a carrot out, are you killing the carrot? Yes. Yes. You'd be killing the carrot. That's the root. Yeah. How about all the uh, creatures on the grass that you can't see, unless you look with a microscope, that are by, being digested and swallowed and killed. That's, that's not an intentional, that's a byproduct that really can't identify. What's this problem with intention right now? Why, why are you raising all this? Just curious. Um, are you trying to say that, that um, cows don't kill creatures? Is this what, is this what the intention of your, of your mind is? That cows don't kill creatures? The cows are uh, wouldn't fall into this classification. Well, no, I, 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 I'm not saying they don't kill creatures. I'm not saying that. Do you, Do you think that a cow would care whether it pulls up a piece of grass and the grass by the roots and never never grows again? Have you seen cows when they stomp and destroy grass and make a mud patch and? Uh, So what was behind that statement that you made? I'm just curious. <laughs> What's the intent of that question? What's the qu- intent of that statement? Trying to give it a value judgment. Hmm? Why, why that value judgment? Something different about certain creatures? They don't want them to predate? Is there, so now, tell me, is there something wrong with predation? Do you have a view that, there's, that, that, that predation is a bad thing? If you're sitting here and you watch, my God, look at that. Uh, a, all of a sudden a merlin, which, which live on this ridge, and it comes down, sits on the rock, looks around, and all of a sudden gets, in its beak, a pretty, very beautiful American goldfinch, and then it's gone. What's your feeling on that? It's predating. I think plants also predate. I'm asking this, and I'm asking others. How do you feel about that? What's that creature doing? Why is it making those noises in the wood? And it was on the house today. What's it doing? It's predating. What's it looking for? Insects. Are they sentient creatures? Yes. And then when it goes and eats seeds from the, if it does, from the suet, ball, and the suet, is it predating? But they're not, you say they're not, it's not living. So, so watch all the value judgment around hunting and gaining food through predation. How about, the, how about the possibility, which is being recognized more and more, that those insects have creatures in them that need to get into the woodpecker to reproduce and are actually moving the insects 
towards, I'm going to put this as a hypothesis because I bet this happens. It's moving the insect towards the woodpecker so it can get the creatures that live in it, the parasites and other kinds of creatures in it, so it can reproduce in the woodpecker. Otherwise, it doesn't have a life cycle. Just as there are creatures on the grass that need to get in the cow, some cause disease, some do not cause disease. The cow needs, needs that. They need it. And for their life cycle, they need to go out in the poo as eggs so they can start their life cycle again. Okay? Predators may or may not kill their prey prior to feeding. I was looking for one other very classic example. is the wasp. Okay? Some wasps, they will paralyze a, an insect like a spider put it in the, uh, the tube for, uh, for, uh, for developing larvae, for eggs, and then when the... It's, it's still alive, but paralyzed. And then when the larvae develop, they will feed off uh, the paralyzed spider, and the spider dies. Okay. I used to watch this, in, especially in New Zealand, because it happens all around the cabin every summer, over and over and over again. Wasps and spiders at war. Sometimes the spot the wasp gets killed. Sometimes the wasp gets the spider, and the screaming, the yelling matches that go. I mean, it's really quite vicious. It goes on and just as they're fighting it out, trying to get one one gets the other. And then if the wasp gets it, takes the wa- takes the spider uh, into this little chamber which they're building all around the cabin, any little crevice, right, with little bits of mud. And I used to clock it like clockwork every twenty minutes. Wasp goes out. Gets a little mud, comes back in, goes out 20 minutes, back and forth, just just actually, very, just like clockwork, back and forth, building this chamber. And then when it's ready, it attacks the spiders and other, other creatures to get the paralyzed creature in there, so it becomes the food for the, uh, the larvae. Quite something, isn't it? The other main category of consumption is the detrius. Um, of dead organic matter. It can at times be difficult to separate the two feeding behaviors, for example, where parasitic species prey on a host organism and then lay their eggs on it for their offspring to feed on its decaying corpse. Selective pressures imposed on one, one another has led to evolutionary arms race between prey and predator, resulting in various anti-predator adaptions. Most animals indirectly use energy of sunlight by eating plants or plant-eating animals. Most plants use light to convert... So now, uh, would you now call uh, a plant or a fungi a sentient or not sentient creature? How many people in the room would call a plant or fungi a sentient creature? Any, Any exceptions? So when next time you go and eat a carrot, you're eating, you're predating and eating a sentient creature. Hmm? Most plants use light to convert inorganic molecules in their environment into carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and biomolecules, characteristically contain, containing reduced carbon. So starting with carbon dioxide and water, and this goes through photosynthesis, When an animal eats plants or 
or eats other animals which have eaten plants, like humans eating cows or chickens or, or rabbits. The reduced carbon compounds in the food become a source of energy and building materials for the animal. They are either used directly to help the animal grow or broken down, releasing stored solar energy and giving the animal the energy required for motion and reproduction. Animals living close to hydrothermal vents and cold seeps on the ocean floor, two miles down, something like that, yes, very, very deep, eh? In the, there's some off, off the uh, coast of uh, Vancouver Island, that's not, not so far, well, being well studied, um, chains of them uh, um, in the Atlantic, Pacific, so on. Uh, animals living close to hydrothermal vents and cold seeps on the ocean floor are not dependent on the energy of sunlight. Instead, chemosynthetic archaea and bacteria form the base of the food chain. So their food is eating the archaea and the eubacteria, okay, which derive their energy not from sunlight, but from uh, sulfur molecules and all kinds of uh, minerals being um, blown out by these vents. Animals are generally considered to have evolved from a flagellated eukaryote. That's about it. So let's go through some of these a, uh, a bit. That would be another another class. That'd be interesting to do. So let's go through some of the some of the creatures that are considered to be with all these with all this classification now. Quite something, isn't it? Quite complex, right? And then we could t we could look into each one of these and see how see how detailed the work is on each one of these points to do with an animal. Let's look at, let's, let's just cover some of the animals so you get a feeling of the range of, of animals. So sponges, try and give some common names to these. Sponges typically feed by drawing in water through pores. Others have a few skeletons. It's interesting. More and more, there's there's a uh, growing evidence that sponges aren't so primitive. They used to be called primitive, but they actually branched off a long time ago and are are, are quite um, quite extraordinarily advanced uh, creatures in terms of that they're not so old. They're just they're. Uh, jellyfish, a sea anemone. Just you write these down, maybe as a, as a for animals, if you can. I just take out the fungi, maybe, and, or you can keep on going. That see how far you can go there, Raphael. Because I want to finish in a in uh, about ten minutes. We have lots, many things to do this one. 
So let's go. So we have uh, jellyfish, sponges, uh, sea anemones. Just give you a range. I have a whole animal book upstairs like this. We could go through it. Just. Often, uh, many of the animals, uh, some of the ma remaining groups that are not uh, sea anemones and jellyfish and corals and so on, uh, they're called uh, bilateria. They're bilaterally symmetric. Often have a specialized head with a feeding with feeding and sensory organizing or, or sensory organs. They're 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 divided like this. Divide like this, and they often have a head, and they have a right side, a left side, and sort of thing. Sorry, I mentioned I mentioned birds off. That's not true. That's, I, I forget what what, what that is. Avial is. I have to look that up. Do you remember what that is? Remember what that is? I'll look that up. So then we have um, sea cucumbers, starfish, sea urchins, fish, amphibians, frogs, and so on, reptiles, birds, and mammals, worms, So the largest group of all animals is what? What's what's the lar by number, by number and by species, not by number, but by by species diversity. What's the largest group of animals by species diversity? Now, algae are not animals. All the insects. All the insects. About of which they've estimated at least a million different species of insects. Anthropoda, including insects, spiders, crabs, and their kin. All these have an organism have a body divided into repeating segments, typically with paired appendages. And there's another one too, which is branched off, is called Nematodia, round worms, which may be the second largest animal phylum by species, round worms and nematodes. They haven't stopped counting how many species of nematodes there are. They're covering your skin, by the way. You want a little nematode lunch? Garden? You want to just play in the garden and do some gardening? Little nematodes? Amen. All over your body? Roundworms are typically microscopic and occur in nearly every environment where there is water. And then we have lots of parasites. And horsehair worms. And then we have another division of flatworms. And we should actually show these. We might be able to if we went out and just got a little jar of water in the back. As you've all seen rotifers, these are animals. They whiz around in the water, both salt water and 
in fresh water. They're amazing creatures. And do they predate? They're actively eating anything they can find. They whiz around. They're hard to look at the, you know, if we put it up in the microscope, it's, it's easier if you're actually able to look very clearly with them with a, through the lenses because in the television they're just whirling. They often don't stay very, so we have to put a gel in the water so they slow down. So maybe, maybe we'll get a chance to do that. But we have to put some drops and make some solution gel or something that slows them down so because they just whiz around so quickly. They're really hard to study. You see them there for a sec, they're gone. Rotifers are very common in almost all uh, aquatic environments. So you see all these different um, phyla. Mo- mollusks is a very, very big animal phylum, is mollusks. Snails, clams, and squids. And also including there's special segmented worms, uh, earthworms are in there, and leeches. I think that's that's probably get an idea that the range of animals. Many of these different kinds of animals before would not have been considered sentient creatures. They would be off the list of things you could or could not, you know, could not eat. So I, I, I give this to you too to also uh, concerning people that are um, vegetarians uh, consider uh, what that means. What is life? You know, what is life? What where do you where do you draw the line in terms of? And then also, uh, how do you know that other sentient creatures don't experience pain? So here's a big question that's very difficult to answer in biology: Which creatures experience pain because they don't talk to us in the same language we have? How do we know if they exhibit pain? So then you look for behaviors of pain. In other words, if they get poked, do they move away? Yeah? Almost all forms do. Do they have defense mechanisms? Yes. But do they actually feel pain? So they may have pain receptors. But because they have pain receptors, doesn't actually mean that they consciously experience pain. Yeah? So does a carrot experience pain? Uh, if, a, if a tree is cut down, does it experience pain? Does an earthworm experience pain? Does a snail experience pain? Then there's questions of, does a rabbit experience pain? Does a bird experience pain? If the bird exhibits or the earthworm exhibits behavior that looks like it's in pain, does it consciously experience pain? Very, very good question. Very, very, very difficult to answer. But many people speculate. Hmm? Okay. I'd like to leave that with you, not to make any judgments. But be, be careful about your judgments in the, in the light of, of uh, uh, let's say, some very, very old-fashioned uh, views about life. I think it's very important that people uh, have responsibility to live on this planet open up your experience and understanding of life and maybe not be back in the 19th century or 18th century. I would say that most people I get to meet 
their understanding of life on the planet is somewhere around the 19th or 18th century, maybe even earlier than that. It's just almost unknown. And I, I think that is a, a difficulty today. I think if you knew more about life, you'd have a greater uh, sense of compassion towards all life. Any, any questions about this? Yes? I'm uh, thinking about predators. Yes. And uh, there may be judgment in this mm -hmm. question, but um, the question that's coming up for me is, would you, would you say that um, animals take what they need, and maybe humans are the exception to the rule where we take more than what we really need? It's not from not from what I've seen or studied. Animals often all kinds of take take more than they need. Mm. They're opportunistic, and they will destroy their environment. Completely destroy their environment to do so. Right. See, I wonder, for instance, the cowbirds uh, feeding on seeds all day. Are they taking way more seeds than they need? Because they they just they're just at the feeder all day, all day. All day, all day, all day, all day. And you say, well, of course, they're, they're so smart. They're naturally smart. They know when to stop. Yeah. I've seen all kinds of creatures that don't know when to stop and get sick. And make mistakes. All the time. Yes? Well, we didn't have a predation. Pardon? If, if we didn't have yes. a predation. Yes. Well, find me something that doesn't predate. Well, uh, let's look at the archaea and the uba and the bacteria. Do you know that p bacteria predate? So I'm thinking of deer, for example, here in Galliano, who have no natural predator other yes. than a car, actually, and yes. man. Yes. So they get to be lots and lots of deer that overeat. They get smaller and smaller. That get sick. Mm -hmm. So without predation. Uh, okay, let me, so is predation then healthy for species to keep their vigor? Would the would the uh, go, goddess of deer? I, I'm, not, I'm not supporting this one way. Would the goddess of deer be thanking humans for culling the deer population on the Gulf Islands for the for the benefit of deer not to be so parasitized and sick and living with that illness? those illnesses and affecting other deer and possibly actually making, making e the ecosystems quite sick and unhealthy. So you, I, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, these are good questions, I'm asking you to think in much bigger picture and the more you study biology you can conceive of these things. For instance, if you don't study biology you have no idea that a lot of creatures do things because other creatures in them must make them get predated for their life cycle, such as uh, toxoplasmia makes a mouse or a rat, I'm not sure about rats, but mice actually get caught by cats because the cat, it's required to be inside the cat for its life cycle. So actually brings, actually creates behavior in the brain, or behavior in the brain, causes brain alterations 
uh, in the mouse so it will be caught by the cat so the toxoplasmia can then infect the cat and go through its life cycle. This is now becoming pervasive through, through life. This was, you, there used to be a few exceptions, but now it's being seen as pervasive. For instance, you, know, you may say, gee, I've got to go to the South Island to go, to go get some um, sausage or something. Or I've got to go to the South Island. I need, I need lots of broccoli. I've got to go to, to, to Janice's garden because that, there's, there's, there's all kinds of arugula there or something like, something like that, or nasturtium, right? And you think you're making, you're making a decision. But actually, it might be the eubacteria or the archaea in your gut sending a signal. I'm not, I am not even joking. Sending a signal up to the brain, because they know that it's now happening, saying, this is exactly what we need. And you are, feel like you're in control, being the little ego, you know, ego controller going, I'm making a decision to go, to go to Janice's garden. In fact, you're not even making that decision. Your organism is making that decision, and it's not even the human part of the organism that's doing it. It's in, it's in uh, interaction or unity with a whole complex of creatures that you never know about or even see. So I really advise all of you to study modern biology, to come out of some of the views that are ingrained, that are maybe even hundreds of years old, but are still with us. And they're very, not only very old-fashioned, they're outmoded. They're simply wrong. They're simply wrong. Uh, by the way, I'm not disparaging vegetarianism. I would be a veg- for my, just, I'm just, I'm, it's just for my health that I don't. But I actually support it. I don't want to see animals killed. But actually, by not being a vegetarian, I am working and trying to see animals, if they're going to be killed, uh, the husbandry done right. Yes? And I don't mind being a predator. If someone says to me, you're a predator, I'm actually, fine. I don't have, an, I don't have a, a moral or a, uh, uh, what's the word, view problem with someone saying, you know, you're a predator. All the creatures in this body are predating. Hmm? Even plants predate. Fungi predate. Bacteria streaming around right now in there in the gut moving around, streaming, looking for food, walling off things and destroying entities and poisoning entities for purposes of gaining more nutrient and, and reproduction. We're wired for it. The question is, can you be compassionately predating? Can you be aware that you're predating? Does this make sense? How about you're a bunch of manipulators? Say, say it to me. You're a manipulator. Darn right, I am. Yeah. Question is, can you be a compassionate, aware, loving manipulator? Right. It could be that creatures sometimes destroy environments for the benefit of other creatures. Give an example. To build this house, it required how many, how much, how many trees to be taken down to build this house? An acre of trees. But without those trees coming down, this house wouldn't go up and would not be allowed to go up by code. As a matter of fact, the fire regulations would have all the trees taken out, the fire, regu- fire advisory code, 
They don't, they don't come in, they don't come in and uh, enforce it by law. They don't tell you, okay, you can't, but they show you where all the trees of the pagoda would be cut down. That's how far the ring would be. The, all, almost all the trees of the pagoda would be, uh, have to be cut down in a ring all the way down to the road, right around the road, and right down to the pond would have to be cut as a ring, protection for fire, fire, fire safety. Predating? You bet. So what do you do? You do the best you can, and then, uh, which is lovely, uh, a number of logs were milled and are actually incorporated in this house, of which Janice, maybe Libby, were part of uh, oiling and preparing various things. So, so within this house, there's actually quite a number of, of timber from this actual site that's actually in the house. And we're still using bookcases and everything else, as much as we can of all the lumber that was milled in the house to give honor to these trees. Predate? You bet. Do we predate? What is supermarket activity? Ever watch people in a supermarket? That's predating. In the garden? Predating. Going to a, a, a market? Predating. Online shopping? Predation. Predate. We are predators. The question is, are we loving predators? Are we aware predators? So be very careful about the mountain of view behind these words. Mountain of view. It's very good to study biology and strip away views and come to the organism level of what's going on and be very well aware of what one is up to in life. What do creatures do? What do creatures do? Find out what they do. Then you'll find it about you. Why do you do things? Yeah, very important. Okay, let's um, finish that uh, section and we'll go into the lab and we'll start the uh, distillation and uh, look at some cells and have some coffee and some cake and celebrate for your birthday. By this powerful activity, by the transmission and discourse of Dharma, May it lead to sensation of suffering for countless beings. Idante punikamang asawakiwangotu. Idante punikamang asawakiwangotu. Idante punikamang asawakiwangotu. Sabesa tasakan hantu. May all beings be well and happy. May all beings be established in a continuity of freedom, the perfect unity of wisdom and compassion, and the full manifestation of Buddhahood for the sake of all living creatures. Many blessings, many blessings, many blessings.